and welcome to episode 10, yes, 10 of Never Seen, the podcast where we watch films missing from our filmographies, those glaring gaps in our film education, the classic or immortal movies people are shocked you've never seen. I'm your host, Jenny, and joining me as ever is the lovely Stacey. Bonjour. And the ever handsome Lee. Hello. Aww. One of these days, I can't, I can't even fake just, it anymore. You can't, can you? It just keeps. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because episode 10, my friends. Episode 10. Woo! Double digits. We're heading towards tweens. Almost teens. Oh, what fun. We nearly and, won. <laughs> Aww. We are I nearly won. Break out the party hats for episode 12. <laughs> yeah. Or would it be 30? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> See, yeah, yeah, this is. Yeah, I I don't know because no because because twelve will be like celebrating the month before your birthday. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So it'd have to be episode thirteen would be our birthday. What an episode. excellent number to have for our birthday! Thirteen, nothing can go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, everybody would have that. It's not just us. That's any, true. What well, any monthly, wouldn't it? Any monthly, yeah. that's also true. Well, but episode ten. It was Lee's choice. And Lee, what was it you chose for us this month? I've chosen Freddy Got Fingered. No. <laughs> I, I mean, I haven't seen that. <laughs> Neither have I. So. No, it's um, uh, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, 1966, directed by Sergio Leone. Um, Italian spaghetti western. Not the first spaghetti western. that had been, you know, the westerns in Italy and other European, Germany and France have been very popular for a while. Uh, but this was the first, you know, the Dullest Trilogy, of which this is the third. Do you know, I thought you said Dullest, but I know you said Dollar. And I don't <laughs> know why, but yeah. I thought you said Dullest. But I know it's you meant... Is that a spoiler for you? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? So, we'll get that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is the, 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 the Dollar Trilogy. The first was A Fistful of Dollars, then A Few Dollars More, and then The Good and Bad and the Ugly. Um, the Good and Bad and the Ugly was made in 1966, but it wasn't released in America and the UK until two years later, I think, 68. Uh, and in fact, all three films were released the same year oh. uh, and were big hits internationally. And it really put you know, um, Leone on the stage, on the, on a, on a world stage. It put, it made, uh, Clint Eastwood, a, uh, a, an international film star. Mm-hmm. At that point, he'd, he'd been just like a jobbing, you know, actor from, you know, in bit parts and, and so on, uh, since the fifties. And at the point he, st- he got hired to do a fistful of dollars. He was basically just a TV guy. He was he played a character called Rowdy Yates in a TV series called Rawhide, which is a Western. I was about to ask you, was he doing Rawhide before or after this? Because either way, it yeah. makes sense. Yeah, he was he was doing he was doing this. He was actually on break between seasons of Rawhide, right. and he I'm not sure how he got the how he got the offer, but he he, he basically got an offer uh, to go out and do it, and he couldn't. His contract with Rawhide meant that he couldn't do movies between seasons. Mm. And he couldn't do other TV shows between seasons. So, but that only meant within the USA. So he could go to Italy. And, so he basically just went, screw it. I'll go there, do this poxy little, you know, Western. If it turns out OK, nice. If yeah. it flops, who cares? No one's going to see it. 
and you know i get a holiday in italy and in spain make some mm. money and come back whatever so he went off did um fistful of dollars it was a big hit in italy he became he, you know made a name for himself in italy he did the second film um and these you know these these italian um spaghetti westerns are all were very cheap and cheerful and very quick you know you kind of forget now because westerns are kind of like a dead genre now mm. that they were like hugely popular they were like the, almost the kind of the bedrock of of cinema in many ways they were just churned out and you know people complain about there being too many superhero movies now because there's something like, you know, 12 <laughs> a year. Well, I get but, the you know, impression that the, the Western, a bit like the gangster movie, this basically helped save probably several like, production companies, make, well, made them yeah, sort mean, of stay in the black. Things, I mean, there was, there was dozens. I mean, the Western, was, the Western was to America is their mythology. Mm. They don't have any history or they didn't have any history. <laughs> That was where it began, you know. The, the the World West was their kind of Lord of the Rings and uh, mm. Robin Hoods and all the rest, you know. The yeah, uh, uh, you know, King Arthur, all that kind of stuff. It's that's that was it. It's all piled into there, all their popular mythology. So it was kind of low art. It would these the kind of things were just churned out. I mean, if you just look at something like Film Four in the afternoons, mm. they they'd be packed out with these these cheapo westerns and like i mean they'd have permanent set. every studio would have permanent western sets built standing sets and because they, they know they could just churn these things out i mean not to say you wouldn't get decent ones you know obviously there was some, some great westerns made but that but they were like the, the you know the the bedrock of of productions mm. they, they'd really just bring that you know that much like you, you have horror films now really you look at Horror films are just churned out. You don't really see. There's a. I think I'm sure I've mentioned this before. At the end of the year, there's a there's a website that does their top seventy horror films of the year, and it's <laughs> like top seventy. Wow. And it's like, how many did you you know disregard? How many didn't make the list? I was going to say because there are a lot of bad horror films. <laughs> yeah, right. a lot horror of them. films. <laughs> well, I mean, we watched one of them last year. Halloween ends. Anyway. <laughs> Still not seen it. Don't. So uh, I am not going to wish. <laughs> so uh, where are I? So yeah, so so um, yeah, you got the spaghetti westerns being made. They're often made, they uh, you know cheap, cheerful. They were you know they were filmed in. I mean, it's it's kind of I kind of grew up knowing about kind of spaghetti westerns, so it, it doesn't strike me as weird. But it's I remember having a conversation with somebody about uh, a while back about um, the Blueberry comics, Lieutenant Blueberry, which is a, a western. Uh, a French Western by Moebius. And I'd be going, what? A French Western? What's that? And you just like, oh, yeah, you just kind of accept it. Yeah, it's kind of weird. But, yeah, apparently they're very strange. Like, when, when they were released, certainly when uh, the oldest trilogy were released in America, they weren't received very well from the critics. The audiences kind of lapped them up, and they kind of grew the audience through the year. So the good and bad movie really hit big when that came out. But the, the critics were very snotty about it. It's, you know, it was very cheap. I mean, they were made very cheap. Um, they were, they were made silent for a start. This explains so much. Yeah. And the dialogue was all redubbed later. It was all looped later. Mm. So you, you have like on the good and bad and ugly 
and and the the other two dollars maybe you had like an international cast so there were a couple of american actors thrown in there there were you know a lot of italians you know a lot of uh, spaniards particularly you know some germans and all that and everybody on set spoke their own language okay they, they all delivered their own lines in their own language yeah and then they'd be dubbed after it was all shot it'd be dubbed for each uh, country it'll be released in in that language which is wild <laughs> really it's just, yeah a little yeah that's kind of weird. Uh, but it also meant that um there was no need to be quiet on the set so clint Easter would, would talk about how he'd be doing his lines and off behind the cameras in the corner of his eye there'd be a couple of you know grips playing frisbee or <laughs> a couple of guys playing cards <laughs> and shouting about you know playing cards so we couple of, you know electricians you know mm. having loud conversations and i read and that it. um i think the director enjoyed playing uh the score as well a lot yeah on on the on the on this one certainly on the good and the ugly yeah he it, that was i mean we can get onto the music later but yeah, yeah. he he was a, i mean the, the score by um ennio morricone sorry i went blank ennio morricone yeah. did fantastic scores for the first three films as well as many other films um and uh sergio leone was a big fan of the, of the of the scores and for this one he actually worked on the score with uh morricone before shooting started so he had some tracks ready which he would play on the set certainly during the the climax mm. which you know getting ahead of ourselves, but certainly the, the the two major climaxes of the film, he uh, he played the music on the set to to beef up the um the the, the mood for the actors because you, there was no need to be silent, you know. Yeah. And um and what other, what else was interesting was that Leone didn't speak English, Eastwood didn't speak Italian, uh, <laughs> so there wasn't a lot of debate <laughs> about. <laughs> who's gonna say what brilliant uh you know and uh uh eastwood and eli waller and uh lee van cleef the three leads would change their dialogue and stuff like that which was which was fine but they had to keep track of what they were saying because two or three months down the line they'd be in the in the dubbing studio um looping their lines and they had to you know there was no kind of track kept of what they said mm. uh, so they had to make notes of what they if they changed dialogue they had to make note of it and keep their own record of what their their lines were because they needed it later on which is mind-boggling i mean there's a whole thing about the whole production of them as well which is also there wasn't the greatest health and safety on set <laughs> either yeah, but that, that's that. I'll, I'll come to that later. But that even doesn't surprise costumes, me hugely, though. That they're no, no, I mean, <laughs> even even down to the costumes. For example, uh, Clint Eastwood took his, I think it was his gun belt, his guns, uh, his shirts. He took from Rawhide with him. So <laughs> most of his costume he brought with him from Rawhide. The the poncho was bought on the yeah, bought by Leone. They only had one. All the stuff. You know, because when you when you have a costume for a movie, everything's in triplicate mm. in case everything gets damaged or dirty and needs washing. 
he said so all the stuff he took from rawhide was all in triplicate uh all the stuff they bought the the, the hat the poncho um they only had one of those so if those got lost they, they were screwed so he used to take his costume home with him to to well to his hotel at the end of the day so that it didn't get lost or stolen or or whatever which is you know just mind-boggling yeah a little bit yeah <laughs> but anyway so so right so the cast uh like i say we've got clint eastwood as in brackets the man with no name who's called blundy the man with no name thing was a was a marketing shtick they came up with for the posters whereas <laughs> in all three films he's got a name he's, I think he's, he's, he's called joe in the first one i think he's called something like Man, mancho or something like that in the second one and then blondie in the third one but they they thought the man with no name thing sounded cool so okay. <laughs> that's what it is and it got yep. stuck um you've got uh eli walla as tuco who's a kind of mexican bandit character um interestingly this is on the back of um Eli Waller had been in The Magnificent Seven playing a Mexican bandit and he'd been in a, a, a film called, um, I think it was, was it How the West Was Won or was it? Yeah, How the West Was Won. And he kind of got cast uh, for um, the good, the bad and the ugly off, off of The Magnificent Seven and How the West Was Won. Okay. Which was, it was again, it was kind of strange how he got cast for uh, the Magnificent Seven, because Eli Waller is a kind of New York Polish Jew mm. stage actor, and he got cast as this kind of Mexican bandit in the Magnificent Seven, which was weird. I mean, the Magnificent as a film I hope we can cover in the future, because yeah. uh, that's a whole other thing. But then, I mean, it kind of like I say, Eli Waller was like a stage actor for years and years and years, and he had no real interest in in doing movies at all he kept getting these movie offers and he wasn't he wasn't that fussed he was quite happy making a name for himself as a as a, as a character actor on, uh, yeah, on the stage I honestly and then I, I didn't recognize him i know him from his later years so i know him like in the holiday yeah as, yeah, as yeah, arthur yeah. you know um uh kate winslet's next door neighbor when she's in hollywood yeah that's and i in other other little bits from when he was much older so i, I didn't even recognize him in this well yeah i mean he only died i think 2015 something like that yeah and he and he was active i mean he was still acting into his 90s yeah uh, but he'd been around a while he'd been in a film called baby doll he'd been in the misfits with marilyn monroe um and he was in godfather three um yeah. he played uh following off following on from the last episode uh Eli Waller also played Mr. Freeze in the Batman oh, really? TV show. So that's, that's, that's two actors we've, we've discussed there who played Mr. Freeze in Batman. Apparently, now I read this and I don't know if it's true. So take it, this isn't like an April Fool's prank, but take it with a pinch of salt. Apparently, Clint Eastwood was cast as Two-Face for the, the Batman TV show. But it was the show got cancelled before he could actually film his episodes. That's in his unofficial biography i don't really buy that i'd need to see some kind of evidence of that to to buy that two-face isn't a character who who, who sits well in the the adam west mm. uh, tv show yeah. but anyway uh so that's eli waller and clint eastwood we also the third um of the of the, of the main characters or really of the cast because it's it's these three and then 
basically a bunch of extras on top of that. So then you've got Lee Van Cleef, who's again was was a was a a TV guy at that point. He'd been in a you know a lot of um, he'd done some like films, but he he was mostly playing heavies and baddies and sidekicks and, and and that sort of stuff. You know, he'd been in High Noon, he'd been Gunfight at the OK Corral, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, all westerns, mm. and he'd made a bit of a fight. You know, he'd been on a ton of like western TV series at the time, and he'd been cast in uh, the second of the Dollars trilogy. For a few for a few dollars more um and this you know and he was really and he's really good in that he plays a very different character to the character in this he plays a very sympathetic character in in that one i should say although these are three films in a trilogy they don't really carry over any um plots See, or i wondered this because because I, I know that they were a three yeah. But I did wonder if they were some kind of trilogy that led in, like, do these guys know each other before this film? Be- I mean, they obviously do, but, like, yeah. carrying over from the other films. Well, no, to confuse things, this is actually a, a, a prequel to the other two. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> so this is why I didn't feel too worried about dropping you into the third film, because, first of all, there's no real continuity yeah. between the films anyway. Uh and and secondly, it's this comes first chronologically, but it's, there's no continuity. So it doesn't really. The only continuity really is this is where we kind of see where Clint Eastwood gets his gear from. Right. His poncho and you know, okay. and that's 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 it. <laughs> it's like Temple of Doom. I mean, it's not because Temple of Doom is not always a western. Yeah. But when I sat down and watched the trilogy of Raiders, because I tried to ignore the fourth one. Like we all do. Don't we all? Yeah, exactly. But that's what because it's Blu-ray edition and it's gorgeous and you should totally get the Blu-ray edition if you can. But I watched the first one, excellent. And then I put on Temple and it gave a completely different date that was years before the first one and I got yeah. completely bamboozled and I did not know until that second that Temple is a prequel to Raiders. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I remember. I'm old enough to remember when it came out. I remember when it came out, it was like, oh, it's a prequel. But there's no reason for it to be a prequel. No, didn't need all. to be. Not really. It's, anyway. I think, yeah. <laughs> anyway, that, yeah, we're drifting. So, uh, yeah, Lee Van Cleef. So he made the, the, the two of the three dollars movie become a big star. It basically made him a star. It made him famous at that point. Mm. Uh, he had, you know, he made a ton more uh, movies in Italy. He, he had his own little um spaghetti western franchise called you know called zabata um and he then on, went on to you know just make a you know a, a big had a big career uh, i probably know him best from uh, escape from new york okay john carpenter movie yeah uh, but he's got like, <gasps> such a, what? You've not seen it what oh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> and oh. jen just writes that one down on the list <laughs> And that's the one for this episode, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you say that, it's bound to happen again later. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm very aware of how many movies I'm dropping at the minute. I wasn't expecting that one to be the one. <laughs> I thought I'd be like the only one. Who's, I've only seen that recently in the last like two, three years. But, I mean, um, I'll, I'll watch it again because we're going to have to now. <laughs> no I, fucking life, I, I tell you. This is, this is what I have to put up with. I honestly, 
I'd, I'd watch it again because I want to hear Stacey's reaction to it because it'd be fucking brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, don't yeah. put that sort of pressure on me. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's an it's an interesting one. All right, so um, so yeah, so that's yeah, it was. It's it's an interesting film. Like the 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 first of the um the dollars film, mm-hmm. uh, the, a fistful of dollars was a kind of loose remake of an Akira Kurosawa samurai movie called okay. Yojimbo. Um, this isn't a remake on on anything particular, but I, I do think it's got a lot of... it. What's, what's interesting is my history with the film. I kind of... I saw this when I was... I must have been like nine, eight or nine. I was kind of aware of it at the time. Um, it was just one of those films that you kind of picked up on. Um, I know that the, I knew the theme music already as a kid. It had been released as a single by uh, a guy called Hugo Montenegro, who'd done like a pop version of okay. of the main theme that was a big hit. It was like number one for about four weeks. It was it was out before I was born. But, you know, it, it, it used to do the, the circuit, it used to pop up every now and again on, on the radio and stuff and, yeah, and and on TV shows and stuff. So I was kind of aware of it. I remember seeing it when I was a kid and I really didn't like it at all. It okay. was again at nine. I don't know why I was watching it. <laughs> it was, you know, because it, it is I, I, I all I remember of it is the opening titles, which I thought were absolutely bizarre mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. they are bizarre they are yeah um and then there's the then there's the scene you got you go through the first scene as it introduces the three the three characters you first introduced well the first shot is um again that you're introduced to basically to Sergio Leone's whole style within the first shot so you've got big um wide establishing shot a long shot uh, a landscape and then you immediately cuts to an extreme close-up of a very ugly guy comes into fray and you're you're literally just off the tip of his nose mm. and that's that's Sergio Leone in a nutshell big beautiful vistas and extreme close-ups of ugly people <laughs> um, and then and, and and it cut to so you got the first scene that introduced Tuco as these three bounty hunters come after him, uh, and he kind of there's a shootout and he leaps through a window and escapes. Then it cuts to um, uh, Lee Van Cleef's character Angel Eyes, um, who again seems to be some kind of bounty hunter who's on and you see him visiting some um, some a friend of his you think. Um, but there's a, there's a real atmosphere and he sits down and has kind of breakfast with this guy in his home and he's asking him about, um, you know, it's something about some guy and some missing gold and something like this. And where's the gold? And then he kills him and he kills the guy's son okay. and he walks out. That that shootout, right? Yeah. Stace, when you watch this, yeah. right, did you automatically think Han Solo? Who shot first? Oh, yeah. A little that, bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the end of the table <laughs> shot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can, again, we can get on to kind of like the, the, the legacy of the film later. <laughs> but that, that, there's a lot of, you know, 
of this in the first Star Wars film, the Tatooine stuff. Yeah. Is, you know, Han Solo is a is you know a Western. Well, character. in many, I mean, in many ways, Star Wars is a Western. Oh yeah, amongst, amongst many other things, it's it's yeah. a Western. Yeah. Um, but it, that that's a complete that shot of Han Solo shooting on the table is a complete lift, I think, from mm. an intentional lift from 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 this and yeah. the fir- that first scene as well i, I was wondering because i know you're a big tarantino fan i wondered if you felt that oh yeah like, tarantino's a big Mor- yes. uh, I'll uh, get to that. Fan. but yeah. i i will be using leone and morricone interchangeably i did i have like a <laughs> some kind of re, you know cock up in my brain that would, but you know do your best to figure out who i'm actually talking about <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, he's a big fan of Leone, and I I think that first scene is very reminiscent of mm. the the opening scene of um, Inglorious Bastards, um, where the um, the Nazi is is talking to the, the French. It's a Tarantino dead. I've not watched yet. I've not okay. seen that one either. Uh, that's funny enough. I'm I, you're not going to get a what. That's my least favourite of Tarantino's. I'm not a big Tarantino fan anyway, so yeah. It's not one thing, but I'll get to it. We'll get to it. So yeah, so 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 that and then and then from after that scene, you get a scene with again with Angelos who goes to see another guy who's in bed, who and he's the guy who hired him to kill the other guy and he kind of switches he puts a the pillow over his face and then shoots him mm-hmm. through the pillow four times at that point my nine-year-old self went thank you I, <laughs> i'm out so that's i think that's about as far as i got I, the just the brutality of that of, of putting the pillow on his face and just shooting him in the face through the pillow just freaked me right the fuck out and mm-hmm. i just checked out so and I didn't, and I don't think I saw it until I actually looked it up when I bought the DVD of uh, one of Eric Morricone, Morricone, uh, no, Leone's, <laughs> <laughs> Leone's later films, Once Upon a Time in the West, which was I think it was two thousand and ten. Uh, because that was the year I, I sort of rediscovered it, and I I, I watched the Dollars Trilogy, and and so for, you know from from nine until forty, mm-hmm. I, I didn't I, I hadn't watched them, and then okay. I, in you know and just and thought fuck what the hell are these things? Right. So what did so what was your experience of these? How, how aware of you? Stace, you go first. Uh, uh, well, so I, I think I've said this on the podcast before. Like when I, I didn't really start discovering what I consider to be like genuinely good movies until I moved out of my uh, childhood home at the ripe old age of almost twenty-five. Um, because, because a lot of the stuff we had to watch in the Frost family household was what will granddad sit through and granddad will uh granddad prefers movies that are largely action and that he doesn't really have to think about which is fine which means that we watched a lot of like arnie movies and stallone movies and you know just like big hollywoody blockbustery action type 
action adventure type things. Um, uh-huh. So up until the point that I moved in with Rich, I had never seen a Western. And up until the point that I watched The Good, The Bad and The Ugly last week, I had only seen one Western. <laughs> <laughs> what what um, the Western? It was it was the remake, the fairly recent remake of True Grit. Oh, OK. Um, okay. Which is actually like, I've not seen. Obviously, I've not seen the original, so I don't know how it compares. But I've I thought this. Uh, well, I thought True Grit was pretty good, yeah. um, if a little bit over long. Okay. Um, so I was concerned about this because my only experience of a Western is thinking, yeah, that was all right, but I could have done with a good 45 minutes less of it. Yeah. Um, so I was concerned that I was going to have the same problem with, <laughs> with this, or indeed that it might be even less interesting to me, what with it being older and therefore having possibly less of a budget and possibly, mm. you know, less good effects or whatnot yeah. <laughs> so yeah I was I was tentative with this one um <laughs> where were you at Jenny um well I I had seen other westerns before this because I I do like and enjoy westerns um but I haven't watched a lot of them and I haven't watched a lot of the classics like the dollar trilogy and others I mean I've I've watched more modern ones from the 90s uh of more the female leading, like The Quick and the Dead and Bad Girls, which I love. Um, but if I was to go back a bit further, and I think it would be around the, you might have to help me out, Lee, I think around the 50s and 60s when Joan Crawford did Johnny Guitar. Yeah. That's yeah. honestly one of my favourite films. That's it's, one I've not seen. It's so camp mm. in many That's ways. probably why I've not seen it. Uh, but it, it, I think it's a good Western. It's a great Western and um, Joan Crawford and the other actress in it, which I think was, I want to say Mercedes McNabb, but I'm not sure if I'm right, so I'll have to look that up. But yeah, they actually, Mercedes McNabb was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I don't, <laughs> think she, I don't think she was around in the 50s. Then you're absolutely right, I've got it wrong. Uh, <laughs> let me just look it up, see if I can find it. But the, the two actresses absolutely hated each other. Mercedes um, McCambridge. There you go. Excellent. We get there in the end. It was similar to Mercedes. <laughs> anyway, they hated each other and it added to the film completely. And mm. it's just, yeah. So there's that. And I mean, I've probably seen a few others. Well, I know you've just recently bought Rio Bravo. I have. I've bought Rio Bravo because I watched a documentary about Dean Martin, who yeah. I've always liked. Yeah. Um, and I hadn't realised that he'd, he'd done a Western, let alone a Western with John Wayne. Yeah. He's obviously like, if you will, like the king of Westerns. Yeah, yeah. Um, not that I'm a huge John Wayne fan, but I'll watch the ones that he's done with Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but this, just from the snippets they showed in the documentary about Dean Martin, it looks really good. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a um, classic. I mean, it's a, kind of like, you know, big inspiration for John Carpenter on I thought on Precinct 13. So, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be watching that um, yeah. at some point soon. So when it came to watching this, I was looking forward to it because I do I do like a Western and obviously I like a classic. Um, it hadn't for some reason clicked with me that that very famous theme music comes from this film. And I don't mm. know why, <laughs> because it should have done. But it's because it, you're both children. Is it's, what it that's, is. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Because I don't often feel like that anymore. <laughs> um, but 
but for, and and like you've already said like the tarantino things mm. yes i saw that straight away i could see where tarantino was inspired by this mm. my i think my only real like two quibbles with it the, this film is the length of it mm. it's just it's a shade too long for me and um the overdubbing the yeah. overdubbing of all the all the voice tracks like i i get it i hate saying like all the time stop it um i understand it for different countries and the fact they used spanish actors so they had to overdub them for english mm. uh, and everything but to overdub your own english actors and the only reason i didn't um always like it is because you know when you used to watch sort of in the 80s really bad overdubbed martial arts movies yeah like Wayne's World, and that would take the mickey out of those quite a lot in the 90s. It felt like that because it, the synchronisation wasn't quite right. Wait, it's interesting because I was watching it. I mean, I, I, grew, I grew up in the 70s and there was a lot of... Um, I was kind of, I was thinking back, I thought, well, I was actually, because it used to, it bothered me when I was a kid, the, like the dubbing stuff. And, although at that age, I, I couldn't tell you why it bothered yeah. me. Um, but I would have been used to it because we had the Godzilla movies were on TV quite regularly. Mm. There was there was children's programs like Robertson Crusoe, which was German, I think, that was dubbed. There was the Flashing Blade, which I think was a French adventure serial that was dubbed. Um, so I wouldn't have been totally um, unused to to dubbing. I, I would have just recognised it being one of those things where the lips don't quite match up. Yeah, because I still. I was, yeah, sorry, Carol. No, sorry. I, I, I do watch some things even now mm. on Netflix because we have a lot of Asian dramas and yeah. things on Netflix that um you can either watch with subtitles or it's often they are just switched um yeah. like default to overdub. Yeah. And and I watch that and it won't bother me. I think why it bothered me with this is because um the synchronization was just ever so slightly out. Mm. And I think that's the that's what bothered me the most. I think if it had well, been in sync, I wouldn't have been that bothered. Yeah, I think one of the things I, I should have checked with you was the, which version, because there's multiple versions of the of the film. When it was first released in America, it was cut by about half an hour, 40 minutes, something like that. Right. Um, because they said it's too long for American audiences. They wouldn't put up with it. Yeah. Uh, and then about... Again, the editions I bought on DVD in around about, you know, just after the uh, millennium, you know, early 2000s, they kind of restored a lot. Mm. So those are those are the versions I've been watching those kind of restored on. Whether there's been later, more recent versions that have put even more stuff in, I don't know. Um, so we probably sort of synchronized which, <laughs> which, which version we were going to be watching. I just know I watched the version that Prime had via MGM because I got seven day free trial for MGM so I could watch it for free on Prime. (laughs) And it was a good three hours or so. Yeah, it's it's I think the version I've got is something like. Just short of three hours, something like two hours, 50. Yeah. But DVD runs quicker than than streaming Mm. because we've we've had this before where we've tried to watch stuff together. Yeah. And I'm watching it on DVD and you're watching it on Stream, some streaming yeah. service and you're and I'm getting ahead of you all the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we, f- I, we found out 
that it was because DVD runs quicker than yeah. But I, but, anyway. but I I didn't dislike the film at all. I thought no. it was a very good film. I just think that, and I, I think Stace has sort of said it a little as well. <laughs> they could have shaved off some of the long shots, the holding shots here, there, and that, and they could have shaved off a good forty odd minutes of it. I mean, oh, I, the, yeah. like, the, the, like the the long panning shots and everything are lovely, gorgeous, and then the sweeping into real close ups, just like Tarantino does himself now. And you could see it. There was a there was one. It was just a quick um, like it was a snap from a long shot to a close up. And I thought, oh, kill Bill, you know, mm. that sort mm. of thing. But, yeah, it was it was just a shave too long. And it's not that I don't enjoy films that are long. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I, I think. But it's I, just I there was with, nothing with long films, that kind of that first time you watch stuff. Short is better. Yeah, it's like there's a reason that the the Lord of the Rings films were two hours in the cinema and three hours on on yeah. DVD. You know that is that kind of thing. That that first time you want to watch them, you, you yeah. want to get through it. Then you know, second time you kind of it's okay to take. Like like for me, I'd seen it before a few times, and I was watching it thinking, oh, this isn't as slow as I remember it being. So it was you know those kind of long. Those, you know, I enjoy the long shots and the mm. and the, you know, like I think there's something like one of the early, I think it might be the very first shot is where you see like the long shot of the town and there's a dog, a stray dog walks across the screen and it takes something like twenty seconds for the dog to walk across the screen. Now that's super indulgent. Mm. Well, I even you know, had a... I I love that that they they the, the mood it creates. But like I say, if you're watching it for the first time, you just want to crack on. And, and 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 just get on with the story, you know. Well, yeah, because I I even clocked it because um, I was I did watch it over two nights because even you said to us you probably have to yeah, watch yeah, it over yeah. two nights and I did. Yeah, that's cheating. I know, but I just I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. But I I even clocked it. I Blame was watching it. Well, yeah, I did have COVID too, but I watched this before COVID. That's that's a hell of a way to get out of watching a film. Just I have COVID. <laughs> I can't watch three hours. I got Lick my face. I don't want to watch the rest of this film. No, I'm just going to sit and watch three hours of The West Wing instead. I can't handle three hours. No, but, um, no I, was, I was watching it and it had all the opening and everything going on. And I was just thinking, no one said anything. And then finally someone spoke. <laughs> and I even clicked the, the switch on my controller to, to have a look at the time running. It's 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 10 minutes. But in saying that, though, if I was to compare that to, say, Jaws, we don't actually see the shark until like 40 yeah. minutes into the film. Luke Skywalker doesn't come into the first Star Wars film until like 24 minutes in. Yeah. So, it's, so but it's it, that's the kind of stuff. But this is the kind of stuff I think once you, you kind of get into it, that's yeah. the kind of stuff that separates it away from. Uh, this is, you know, this is the kind of stuff that separated the Dollars trilogy from the squilly and other um <laughs> Yeah, it was churned out spaghetti westerns at the time. You know, this is what I mean. I think I'm banking. You, you, I mean, I'm not saying you know you're wrong. You are, but go on. <laughs> Except I mean, you are. I'm, I'm, it. I'm just not saying it. So, but uh, but um, Clint Eastwood agrees with you. Well, there so, you go. But he was saying because he's a filmmaker himself. Yes. And he's kind of like a no frills filmmaker. So he would kind of. I don't think he really butted heads with Leone particularly. 
uh, like artistically in that way, because I don't think they had a common language to to argue over. Mm. But he was sort of saying, yeah, this is where we differ because he likes the long shots and the establishing shots and the details. And he's all about, you know, the flick of the eyes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Whereas Eastwood, if you, you know, if you've seen like um, documentary about, you know, people talk about working with him, he's very much let's get on and get it done. Oh, and, he doesn't mess about. It's like, right. Yeah, that's good. Let's move on. Yeah. That's I mean, it. let's I, go. I saw the making of. I mean, obviously, Eastwood did a ton of Westerns. He was probably the last great movie star that was made by westerns you know mm. um yeah. he made a whole bunch after this you know he, he didn't he didn't work with leone again after this he kind of had his he went you know he made this thing okay now i'm a name i need to go back to hollywood and make myself an american yeah. star you know which i can understand yeah and i think he was just wearing at the whole kind of you go to Italy to make these films and you take your life in your hands and, you know, it's very different to being on a Hollywood set where, you know, mm. things, you know, are a bit safer and more comfortable. Um, but he made a whole string of Westerns, you know, after that, culminating with um, Unforgiven, which was his kind of like postscript to the whole Western genre, which is an amazing piece of cinema. I feel, non- like, I feel like I have seen it, but I don't remember it. Yeah, I feel like I've seen it. Is this you just trying to get away of not saying I've not I've never seen that? I, I mean, probably. Away, what the hell? I, I missed what film you were talking about. Sorry, because I did a little Unf- yawn. Unf- <laughs> Unforgiven. No, I've not seen it. Yeah. So, well, I assumed, you know, see, you assumed I had Western and it wasn't <laughs> Unforgiven. I figured that was yeah. So, so, um, but. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I saw I saw like a, a a making of Unforgiven, and it's a very dark, grim movie. It's all mm. about you know violence and the consequences of violence and the consequences of violence on violent men and living a violent lifestyle and and all that kind of stuff. And you see like the making of, and everyone's having a great time. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, yeah, it was you know fantastic. Everything. How can such a grim movie be such a happy set? <laughs> You know, and then you hear about, you know, the making of some jolly feel good comedy where everybody hates each other. And it's absolute, you know, probably worries in it. And everybody's <laughs> absolutely hating themselves and being there. And all that. But it's 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 very weird when you realise the experience of a film and the experience of mm. the being made of very different things altogether. So. Uh, you know how we were saying earlier that the the opening credits are very weird. Yeah. yeah, they're so weird. So my note was that I I loved them from like a design perspective, from a designer's perspective. I I really liked them, but the rest of my note went like this: that love the opening credits and theme. The credits are long though, and they were long. <laughs> well, I don't know were they? I don't. I don't feel like they were that long. But they felt long. Like, to accept, me. If you yeah. say yeah, they were long. I accept they were long. <laughs> they were long because, um, again, Leone was just in service to the the music at this point. At this point, he's going. He was in such kind of coordination with Morricone. Yeah. He would basically cut the film to Morricone's music. Um, rather than the traditional thing of they cut the film and then the composer comes along and they add the music to the film as it's cut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he will go, give me the music, and he will cut the the film to the music. So you get these long periods, like in the climax, the the, 
the scene where uh, Tuco is running around the, the graveyard. Mm. It's a huge long thing because it's cut to the music. It's cut to the musical piece. And it's it's that kind of almost as a, as a musical. As like, much as know, I love the music, that was the mistake. <laughs> yeah, I I think the music was probably my favourite thing about the whole film. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I do I I do agree with you, Jenny. I genuinely felt like every scene in this film could have been cut down by about one to two minutes, maybe. And oh, I probably would have enjoyed it a hell of a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Um, it absolutely could. But like I that that sequence would have been the film it is. Yeah, yeah. That's you know? that sequence where Tuco's running around the uh, the graveyard. I couldn't stop laughing at it because I said to Rich, yeah. like, I feel like they're damned if they do and damned if they don't. Because on the one hand, I'm like, fucking find this grave already for yeah. shit's sake. Yeah. And then on the other hand, I'm like, if he'd have run straight to that grave, I'd have been like, well, that's not realistic. <laughs> <laughs> like in this like absolute desert of graves, and he just immediately goes to the right. One. But eventually, yeah. I was just like, can we can we find it? Can I can I skip ahead to where can he we finds just do it? it? I mean, you got the music playing. Just do a montage. You know? <laughs> I think, I think, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just riding it along. Mm. But I, this is this is this is what I was watching. I'm thinking, oh, I'm just I'm loving this. I bet they're tearing their hair out. <laughs> but the thing you is, know, like the like the final shootout, which I think is like a masterpiece of tension. Oh, I like the final shootout. I thought I was sure. Yeah. I thought they're just going. No, just I really, fucking shoot him. I mean, yeah, I no, was getting I was getting to the point, but I was like watching them as they were watching each other, just thinking, oh, he's going to pull. Nope, he's going to pull. Yeah. That, <laughs> that part was a bit where I didn't mind that it went on for yeah. a while because yeah. it was very obvious to me that they were like building tension and that you were yeah. supposed to be like, shit, who's going to do this? Like, ah. So, like, that one didn't bother me. It was more things like, like you say, when there was just, like, you know, a dog for half an hour. Yeah. And you're like, we don't need that dog for half an hour. You could cut it down just a little bit, please. Even and, a... <laughs> well, yeah. I'm glad you agree with the American censors. The unimaginative, uninspired <laughs> American censors at Look, the time in the 19th. 19- Welcome to it, the 60s, ladies. I'm a modern lady and I've got the attention span of a fucking goldfish. I need my movies short and snappy. Short and, and snappy. Do it in a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, it's, it's like the end, uh, the, the end follow-off of... Um, you know, Clint Eastwood riding off into the sunset. Mm. It's a cliche, but it looks great. It could have gone to black a lot fucking sooner than it did. I even see I'll, him I'll, after a little while. It's like, it, it was just a blur. It's, it's interesting. I was watching the bit. There's, there's a scene for anybody who's not watching it. And if you've not watched it, why you listen to this now? <laughs> just go off and watch it. Um, where uh, Tuco is basically torturing Blondie to death in the desert. He's just riding him through, you know, walking yeah. him through the desert, basically just, you know, sunning him to death. And that goes on. That's a big chunk of a. That does go I on. don't even call it a scene, really. Yeah. Of a, of a sequence, you know. Yeah. Um, and I was watching, going, yeah, man, this 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 does go on a bit, and you and you kind of do. <laughs> Yeah, you could cut it down. You can get the point across mm. in like half the time, but you really feel the fucking torture. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Space, do. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind yeah. of like there's there's kind of I I get it. There's 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 ways to do it, and there's you know, but you know, 
I think. I mean, I, I don't even think it's that though, because and I've said this before, and I'm sure I will say it again on future episodes. I am fine with films being long if mm. the length makes sense for the content. And yeah. there are certain bits, like I do think I personally thought that bit was. I didn't feel like that was over long because it no, really drove home how fucking awful yeah. that bit was. And the same with yeah. the shootout. It really built up the tension. It was just there were other scenes where it was like, I don't know, a man in a bath for three hours. Yeah. And I was like, I don't, I don't need any of this, really, like more than an establishing shot of a man in a bath. Like, can we move along with the plot? No, please. Yeah. And that's where I was getting frustrated because – it, it was really hard for me to score this on Letterboxd because I said to Rich, it is a genuinely good story. All of the acting is great. And largely, I really like how it was filmed and put together. And the score is fucking phenomenal. But I don't think I could ever watch it again because I think I'd be bored. Mm. <laughs> Especially yeah. now I know like, this, like what happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like At least before, like the first time I watched it, I was like, ooh, you know, who's going to make it out with the gold? Ooh. And, uh, but now I know exactly what happens. I'm just going to be like, oh, let's get to the end, shall we? <laughs> well, this is that case. It's funny because, I mean, again, Clint Eastwood say exactly the same thing. Almost word for word. He said, oh, no. you know, he, he'll, <laughs> he'll like, you know, he can, he'll like a long movie if you've got a long story to tell. Mm. He yeah. doesn't necessarily think, you know, he doesn't want a long movie just because you want to be yeah. arty about it and, and, you know, and, and show stuff off. Whereas Leone is is an artist. He's, he's very, you know, and he's very into art and he's like composing, you know, pictures on the screen and so on like that. Um, but what, oh, an interesting thing about Leone is he only made eight films. And that kind of surprised me. I thought, I thought, well, why have they only listed eight of his films? on IMDb and I know that's that's all he made he made he made two kind of sword and sandal movies like um mm. early in early he kind of half directed one because the director got ill and then he made he, his first film as a director he made something like called I think it was called something like the Colossus of Rhodes then he made the Dollars trilogy and then he made what he called that has been called the the Once Upon a Time trilogy which mm. is Once Upon a Time in the West which is a Western then he did uh, a film with three titles. It's called A Fistful of Dynamite. It's called Duck You Sucker. And it's called uh, Once Upon a Time, The Revolution, which is another Western set in the Mexican Revolution. And then he did his final film was Once Upon a Time in New York, which was a gangster epic. It was his his kind of response to The Godfather. Mm. Uh, and that's it. He made that's it. He made essentially made six you know films internationally and then these two early ones see that has me wondering if um tarantino sort of emulated that himself as well because tarantino's only doing what is it 10 films he says yeah he said he's got is it just one more he's got one more to do i think now and that's it he's done yeah um so i I, hearing that uh now i wonder huh i wonder if it's not just the style of that film that he liked but the choices of how many he would make in a career it could be that I mean Tarantino said he doesn't want to do films for hire. He no. doesn't want to do you know it's, become it's the Bond guy and then a Marvel yeah. movie and then whatever no. you know. Yeah. Or he does the the one for his kids and stuff like that. You know. Yeah. The video game adaptation. And it's so, it's it's funny watching the good, the bad, and the ugly. And whilst I was watching it, I I did happen to think every now and then about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm. Um, 
with Leonardo DiCaprio's character going off to do all the spaghetti westerns after he'd done all his. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to mention. I mean, that's literally what this. Yeah. Yeah, that's what what he's talking about. It's like, you know, about, you know, Clint Eastwood going off and and other actors going off, you know, Charles Bronson and stuff doing doing spaghetti westerns. Mm. Um, But that's literally what that's about. The TV actor who becomes famous doing TV westerns, his kind of his career dries up a bit and he gets the offer to go to Italy to make spaghetti westerns. It's I mean, it's. It's all there. I mean, the fact yeah. that it's called Once Upon a Time in yada, yada, yada is, you know, it's all, you know, comes back to Leone mm. amongst many other things in that film. You know, yeah. That, I mean, there's a ton of other stuff in that film, but that's certainly like a spine of, of that, I think. In yeah. There. It's sort of, once you know the story, you can, you know, uh, in fact, I don't know, you know, I mean, how much of that did you know about when you were watching that? Because, I I I get I, I know when when was upon a time I know we're drifting off so we'll get back to the, <laughs> the main call in a minute. No, when I, that I, came out, there was a lot of people going, "Well, this I don't know what this is about." I don't. Know oh no, I because I already knew about Clint Eastwood and his mm. career in um, Rawhide and other bits, but yeah. also just having uh, a somewhat general understanding of Hollywood history yeah, between yeah. TV and film and the spaghetti westerns, and also. Um, uh, the other side of that story, um, which the names of, uh, like Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate, yeah, all yeah. of that, all of that stuff I already knew. So for me, yeah. um, I had that grounding. So I wasn't questioning what was that about? What was that about? Blah, blah, mm. blah. Uh, but it's also one of my favourite films um, mm. of his and in general. So, um, no, I don't, to answer your question, really, I just I did get it and wasn't questioning it. Yeah. Or any other things really that came up in it either. Yeah. Back to the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So obviously the, the music's phenomenal. Uh, Ennio Morricone uh, had a phenomenal career. I think he only died, what, a couple of years ago? Was it? Yeah, it was well, not long. No. Uh, there's a, no, there's a new documentary out for him too. Oh, yeah, there is. Yeah. I've, um, I've got it on DVD. It's quite good. Yeah. I, I, oh, I want to say that. But, um, yeah, I think because he was, he did one of the stories. Again, talking about Tarantino again. Um, and amongst the many other films he did, he, he did scores for, including The Mission, uh, The Untouchables, which is a brilliant film. It's one of my favourite of his uh, scores. John Carpenter's The Thing, mm-hmm. and one of my favourite stories is when he did the score for The Thing, uh, the John Carpenter sci-fi horror movie. He didn't really score um, the, the cut. He just produced a kind of album of music, a load of tracks. And then John Carmeter edited those tracks to the movie, I believe. <laughs> and in the end, he only used about two or three of the dozen cues that, that Morricone did. Because um, many people, including me, bought the soundtrack album were going, Where's all, what's all this music? Where's all this music come from? What's all this from? I don't remember this in the film. And when um, Tarantino was doing The Hateful Eight, which was, you know, is that the last one? He, no, he, that was the one before he did mm, uh, yeah. Once Upon a Time, uh, which is a big Western. And he wanted to use um, the unused thing cues. Um, 
so he went to I, I think he had to get Morricone's permission to to use the cues and uh, Morricone said yeah yeah it's yeah, fine um, but I'll, I'll do you one if you like I'll, I'll I'll do a bit of something for you and uh, Tarantino went yeah of course whatever and I think, I think Morricone then brought him like a whole soundtrack a whole score <laughs> <laughs> and it's just a phenomenal score as well it's just unbelievable um but he was such a talented guy just phenomenal um i remember seeing the untouchables which is a kevin costner um brian de palma directed crime movie about al capone and the opening theme for that is just phenomenal (laughs) i remember sitting in the cinema just going this is already one of my favourite movies ever, and the titles haven't even finished yet. I'm I'm already loving this. You know, it can be you know, two hours of of flies crawling over a wall, and I'd be amazed. But it's he's just he really just plugs into your gut, I think. Well, you know, as soon as we uh, started getting ready and gearing up, because we agreed at the, this past weekend that we'd record tonight, uh, and even after watching the film, because I messaged you guys in our group chat, said right watching good the bad and the ugly and lee just messaged back ah (laughs) 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 there we go that's running through my head now since the weekend and tonight whilst we were just going it's like ah it's it's interesting because that was so when i was a kid that was so everywhere yeah it was it was a i mean this is me at nine watching it going this this music's so familiar it it's almost like, a, like an instant parody of itself because mm. it had been used so much in like spoofs and in comedy sketches and tv yeah. commercials and everything it was like it's almost hard it's one of the things that's so familiar it's almost hard to take it serious it's like the james bond you know dang 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 dang, dang, mm. dang. once that comes in the film it's like this feels weird it being in an actual film because it's so <laughs> but it's so familiar. synonymous now isn't it with like yeah. western you, yeah. you, you hear that and the, like, the you've got the cracking of the whip later in, in it and mm. all the other bass lines and bits and bobs going on but yeah. even in that final scene when we're waiting for them to fire and you just got that dun 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 kind mm. of triggering through all the way through it and you'll just sit there thinking fucking shoot Someone shoot! <laughs> well, there's, there's, you might, you might like the, the, the other two. I know you're saying, well, I couldn't watch it again, but like the previous, the, you know, the previous two movies are shorter, so you might, you might like those better. All right, that's fair. But there's, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a similar shootout in one of those that's timed to a, uh, a watch, a chime on a watch that plays okay. too, and that becomes again just so unbearable. Mm. In a good way, look <laughs> tense while you wait for this tune to play through this sweet little lullaby. I mean, it's it's all related to the plot as well, which makes it emotional as well. Yeah. But um, but again, it just ramps up the tension so much, and I do think there's a lot to be said for letting the musicians play mm. to let the you know. I mean, I've had arguments about, for example, Star Trek the Motion Picture. Which yeah. was which was heavily criticised for being long, too long and too slow. You know, it's perfectly the, fine. The slow motion picture was cool, but I see it as a musical. I see it as you know as a ballet that you you sit there and 
you, you, you let the images wash over you, and you let the music wash over you and so on. OK, we um, need to sit you down to actually watch a musical. Um. <laughs> I've, I've seen West Side Story. I know a long fucking musical. <laughs> so, now, I, I, well, if I was to dip back into the film and moments and scenes, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the moments where uh, Blondie and Tuco would pull their cons. You know, yeah, Tuco yeah. would be going in to be hung and uh, blondie would be a sharpshooter that he is and and save him from dying a death of hanging until they split ways and then the poor bugger that he is then working with does actually get hung because tuco yeah. stopped him from shooting the gun i mean uh, i mean there's so much of that kind of those kind of callbacks yeah and kind of reversals yeah. And stuff like that throughout the thing. There's a lot, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's the, the line about there's, there's two kinds of, yeah, there's two kinds of men in the world, men with loaded revolvers and men who dig and stuff yeah. like that. There's loads of that, that like callbacks and, you know. And, I mean, I even other. wrote down the line, when you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Yeah. I mean, well, that, I feel that that's also kind of like, well, you should have considered that with the film too. <laughs> <laughs> Are you are, are you seriously saying there's too much dialogue in this film? No, no, I'm saying you know what you should probably reverse that a bit. Talk. Yeah, you don't should shoot, reverse talk. It. Talk. Don't shoot. Yeah. But, but there was uh, interesting great, about. Great lines. Yeah, I'm saying it's interesting about that line in particular, because Eli Waller said that that that's the line that gets quoted back to him more yeah. than anything else, and he said that he said that was kind of like not a big line in the script. When he shot it, he didn't think anything of it. It was just like a, it was mm. just a line to kind of wrap up that scene. Yeah. He said when he saw it, he realized, yeah, you know, he saw it in the cinema. Yeah. With, and he got a big laugh. And he said, well, I didn't, I didn't mean to get a laugh there. But I think said, that's the best thing, though, isn't it? I can only imagine that must be the best thing. If you don't think something is particularly impactful or yeah. great in that moment, then that kind of throwaway line. Yeah. generally becomes the strongest or funniest I, thing I, i'm sure that's probably part of filmmaking like, yeah. like we were saying about the difference between the film and the making of the film mm. i'm sure that's it is that you know the, the 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 experience of making the film is so different to actually watching the film that you know that that you you don't realize what's going to click with audiences you know you think yeah. a, a moment's going to work really well because it works really well on the set or it works really on the script, and that, but it doesn't it doesn't click with audiences at all because yeah. of the context and vice versa. You know, stuff that you just don't imagine is going to be a big moment hits big with the audiences. Because I I assumed like Stace, I wonder if you did that. I assumed whilst watching this, um, not knowing huge amounts about spaghetti westerns, mm. that not a lot of money was in the budget of this. Because I did think looking at the sets, it looks like it's a back lot. Warner Brothers. <laughs> do you know yeah. what? Do you know what did it for me? It was the uh, it was the incredibly dry face makeup that is yeah <laughs> that looks like somebody just smeared something on and went that will do yeah <laughs> so let's just put some PVA glue on your face, love. That will do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, nice and peely. It's, it's yeah. Funny. I mean they're they're very low budget. This this one was actually bigger than most. This was like um like a, it was it was co financed by um United Artists, I think. You mm-hmm. Uh, so this one had a bit more money to it. This this was like Leone basically doing his Avengers End game. This was his big okay. big moment that he built too. So there was a lot more money in this, and you can kind of I mean it was all shot on location in Spain. 
yeah. which is, you know, it looks really hot and dry because it was hot and dry. Well, you know, that moment in the film where he picks up that note and it's he reads out, says, see you soon, idiot. Yeah. And I was looking at that page and I was thinking, that looks like someone's just chucked and folded up a page from the script and put it on the table for them. <laughs> probably. And it probably There's, was. Just I so, mean, it looks so kind of. That piece of paper just looks so out of place to me. That was why. But, I, I mean, like, there's, there's, you know, that's far from the worst crime. That's yeah, true. The budget cutting <laughs> crime. I mean, I mean, E. Waller has said that he uh, almost died three times during Jeez. the making of it. There was, there was the one scene where he's on the horse about to be hanged, mm. and he's got literally he's got the rope around his neck, and what's supposed to happen is, you know, somebody fires the gun and the horse bolts. Yeah. And somebody fired like an actual gun. And he said, aren't you going to put cotton wool in the horse's ears? Because that's what they do <laughs> in Hollywood. And he goes, no, 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 no. So they fire the gun and the horse just bolts. Gone. And so he's there stuck on this horse with a noose around his neck and his <laughs> hands tied behind his back. The horse is off like a rocket. Jesus. It's over a mile before he gets the horse to slow down. And, and he's like, Jesus Christ. Then later on during the filming, there's there's a scene all during the filming. It's it's hot weather. And he's kind of Eli Waller's become, a you know, he's discovered like there's like a lemonade, like a Spanish lemonade. Mm. And he's he's become, you know, uh, quite addicted to this lemonade. It's become his tipple during the shoot. And um, at the end, there's, there's a scene where they find the gold and it's in like a canvas bag. And he has to hit the canvas bag with a spade and it splits the bag and the, mm-hmm. and the, the gold spills, gold spills out yeah now to make it so we could cut the bag they put acid they poured a bit a line of acid down the down oh the bag my. to weaken the bag oh my god so they were shooting this in he went and picked up his his lemonade took a swig and it's not lemonade it's the acid that somebody <sighs> put down. so he said as soon as this touched his lips he realized what it was so he he spits it out immediately. They get him like something like you know two quarts of milk. He glugs all this milk, and he's Jesus. like, "Well, fucking hell, you know." So and then <laughs> that's that's two. Number three, there's a scene where he's uh, he's been in prison, and he escapes prison. They, they've jumped off a train, and he's got this prison guard, this brutal big bastard of a prison guard who he's handcuffed to. Mm. Uh, he kills the prison guard and to get to break the chains, he puts the prison guard on the railroad tracks and the train and, and puts the chain over the railroad tracks. So the train comes along and it'll cut the, the chain. Cut the chain. The chain. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so he's there. They've got the body. I assume it's a fake body, uh, but who knows <laughs> on the railway track. The real train comes trunking along and Eli Waller is literally crouching down by the side of the train. As the train goes past, they got the shot of him going past. And there's a step on the back of the train sticking out. And he realized if he'd lifted his head like two inches, he would have been decapitated by the step going past. So it's yeah. So health and safety in Spain wasn't really a thing in filmmaking. Yeah, back then. I mean, um, I mean, Clint Eastwood has said, and like uh, you know that you know 
it's fun shooting out there because it's different but yeah you, you have to you know be aware keep your wits about you don't you, you know, he said you know that like a, a spanish or italian crew back then certainly wasn't you know like working with a british crew or an american crew um or, or a you know a spanish or italian crew now mm. you know it was very fly by night yeah uh, and it would just you know get it done and move on get it done and move on and they, I'm, I'm putting it this way they used to he said particularly on the first two films of the dollars trilogy they used to ch- do a lot of coverage which means they'd shoot each scene several times they'd shoot you know usually it's for different takes and so on yeah but um but in this case it was they used to shoot everything three or four times just because they expected the the film labs to fuck up the negative you know <laughs> most of the time <laughs> yeah. so just you know they'd say scratch it or, or trash the negative or whatever so they just wanted you know make sure they'd got mm. shot so it was it was pretty pretty wild i mean and then the other the other one actually make that four times he nearly died there's there's a scene where they blow up a bridge yeah there's a big bridge you know at the end of this battle there's a big there's a big civil war battle and there's a big bridge and um blondie and and, and tuco decide to blow up this bridge for plot reasons <laughs> And it's a real bridge that they got the Spanish army, the the, um, the sappers and, the, you know, to build yeah. this bridge. And it's a proper wooden bridge. It's not a proper bridge. It's not made out of balsam wood and polystyrene. That's proper real wood and real stone and concrete. And uh, it took them like, you know, three weeks to, you know, the army to three weeks to build this bridge. Mm. And uh, they, they saw, you know, they, they watched the um, Clint Eastwood and Eli Waller watched, uh, you know, the, the army putting all this dynamite on this bridge. And Eastwood went to uh, Sergio Leone or, or, or Eli Waller said to Sergio Leone, go, uh, where do you want us for this? And he sort of goes, you know, here, here. And uh, Eastwood says, well, where are you going to be when we shoot this? And he only went up there, you know, to the top of this mountain. <laughs> And it's yeah, I think we'll be there with you. We'll be we'll be standing next to you. And uh, what happened was because the army had built this, they decided to give the honour of blowing it up to the to the captain of the army who who'd assembled the bridge. Of course, I only think the, the captain of the army knew nothing about filmmaking. So all the uh, all the people setting the charge and the stuff were all good, 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 and. Uh, the captain in the army flipped the switch and blew the bridge up. Not a single camera was running. <laughs> so, whoops. Uh, yeah. Leone, he said, uh, Eastwood said he saw Leone just coming towards him, red, just red, and cursing every swear word in Italian and probably other languages. <laughs> the, and it's a big explosion if you see the film it's a big it's a proper mm. explosion you think you take camera tricks so the army went okay we'll, we'll, we'll build it <laughs> we'll rebuild it for you free of charge Jesus. so they went off did some more filming for three weeks came back and then the uh the army had rebuilt the bridge and uh the um yeah the, the special effects guy got the got the honor of setting the charge off but the interesting thing was because it's a real it was a real bridge going up that shrapnel and, and stuff you see falling around is real rocks and boulders and tree trunks and 
and shit that's landing there. And it's like, yeah, we were right to be up out here. Out the way. Yeah. <laughs> we were well out of the way. Well, that's not a bad army, though. It can build a bridge in three weeks. That's, yeah, that's yeah. pretty I good mean, going. Yeah, well, it's, it's a bridge that doesn't have to carry anything, I guess. That's so true. That's true. But, yeah. you know, but there you go. But it's just, that's but it's it's it, but it's interesting because you can see the scale of it. That's a real you know pre digital and pre, yeah, like yeah. A real bridge they they build up. You know if you've got you know back then you know in the sixties and so on if you need an army of five hundred soldiers you had to hire five hundred guys. Yeah. You know yeah. It wasn't there's was no digital no effect. CGI digitals there no. Yeah. It's it's real scale and it just boggles my mind how they get though got that stuff. Mm. done you know mm. it's like how do you control the guys who are on the other side of the mountain to do stuff you know just just really big loudspeakers mate yes <laughs> big loud <laughs> just really really shouting uh-huh. at them yeah i'll tell you one thing i did notice about clint eastwood in this he was very handsome oh he he's was a good looking boy he? he was good looking man at that age Woo. yeah he's, i mean he's it's a cracky old dude now, but back I'm, then. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, to be fair, he's in his nineties. Yeah. You know, Give him his allowed. breaks. You know, he's allowed to but age. He was women. Women time. aren't allowed to age like that, but you know. No. He can. <laughs> no. So. <laughs> but uh, you know, it. Yeah. So, but, but yeah, um, handsome dude. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not the biggest Clint Eastwood fan in the world, although he's made a fair few films that I like. Do you but know? I, would, I wouldn't. The, the only films I really remember Eastwood being in are the um, Every Which Way But Loose. Yeah. With the orangutan. Yeah. Because I, I think he's a good filmmaker. I've seen a few of his films. And I think he's very good. Mm. I don't necessarily think he is a great actor. Mm. He's very good. He, at- he knows. He knows his level. He's a. He's a. I think somebody said. I think Leone said about it after because he worked with. Robert De Niro on Once Upon a Time in New York. Mm. And I think uh, Leone and Eastwood had a bit of a falling out, so he didn't kind of mince his words. And he was sort of saying that, you know, De Niro's an actor and Eastwood's a star. There's none of the difference, you know. I think that's true because, I mean, Eastwood can grunt and do it yeah. with different meanings. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's a minimalist, he knows his, isn't he? Yeah, he, he, very I mean, much so. Yeah, he his, knows, on, knows on his minimal limits. Yeah. And, and on other films, he he is asked, "Give me less to say." Yeah. He can say, he, he can do more with less. Yeah, he's he's not a big exposition guy. No, you know, no. he's not one for speeches and monologues and you know that kind of stuff. Unless it's talking to an empty chair that he is claiming to be Barack <laughs> Obama. Yeah, Which although is... to be fair, you know, he had a pretty good reputation until. Till then, that point, yeah. Uh, he, he was, he was, you know, I, yeah, I'd, I'd heard a lot of good stuff about him. I know that, for example, I remember one time, and it just stuck in my head this kind of story. He was doing, uh, I think this was when he did, he was doing In the Line of Fire. Mm-hmm. It was a film he did where he played a bodyguard, the presidential bodyguard. Yeah. And he was, he was, he was overdoing interviews for that, and he, he was being interviewed by Radio One, and they'd sat him down in the studio to record this interview, and the, the sound gear packed in or something like that you know and whoever the, the guy who was interviewing said you know i'd never seen anything before like it um he literally he just got off his seat got on his hands and knees and was started fixing the soundboard and <laughs> you know any any, you know, any other you know actor yeah. or whatever would have got up and go well let me know when i'm you're out. ready yeah you know yeah. 
And he was, he was there. He literally rolled up his sleeves and, you know, and got I've, down on the floor. And you know, stuff. aside from that whole, everyone was a bit bewildered by his whole talking to an empty chair yeah. stunt a few years ago. I've never heard a bad word against him from the industry, whether, you know, you, you hear rumour through mm. web pages, through the rags and through interviews and that. But they've always said what a good director he is because he's, yeah. a, they like to say he's an actor's director yeah. sort of thing. Um which I think is true, because the yeah. stuff that he does put out is always has generally always been very good. Some of it's been yeah, quite I, dark. I, yeah, I mean, I'm, like I say, I'm not a huge fan. Some of these films I've really liked, like say Unforgiven, I thought was fantastic. I think I think that there's been other stuff that I'm not so taken with. You know, he can mm. he can be hit and miss. You know, yeah. Some yeah. some films are good. He's not somebody I definitely go and see, but he's been in a lot of films I've enjoyed. Kelly's Heroes, particularly, is one of my all time yeah. top ten favorites. You know, um, where he goes there, Dirty Harry. Is there any Eastwood films for you, Stace, that pop in your mind? Honestly, couldn't name a single one. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like, yet again, this has been another episode of Stace not having an awful lot to say. <laughs> Eli, what? Well, seen him in stuff. Know him. Can we just say how good he is in so this? Good. Oh, he's so yeah. good in this. He's just phenomenal. I mean, to be fair, because you've got. Eastwood, who's very quiet, and then you've got uh, Lee Van Cleef, who's very quiet. They're both minimalist yeah. performers. I mean, I mean, I mean, Lee Van Cleef is brilliant as well. He's just he so fucking sinister. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. He's just brilliant. with with doing so little, um, uh, he just exudes that, evil. You know, uh, slapping that woman around, yeah. but also just that scene where he pulled the cushion over. Yeah. His well, I want to say his friend in a way. The, yeah. the, you know his mate's face and then just shot him four or five times and it's just it's, it has actually even now it's quite a chilling scene to watch it is it is it is really chilling i mean i know that at the time it was seen as very very violent yeah. it's extremely violent yeah. i think i think as time's gone on it's 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 not as violent as you know violence has moved on no, if, it, if that was Tarantino, there would have been blood everywhere. Yeah, have been, yeah I mean, there's, 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 we've had John Woo since, you know, yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. There's, there's, a, there's, you know, gunfights have gone much further. But you feel the violence in this. Yeah. It's, again, it's the Tarantino thing about Reservoir Dogs. He yeah. said when that came out, it was criticised as being as if it was the most violent film ever made. And yeah. so it's not that violent. There's, there's four or five violent scenes in it, but you feel it. Mm. It's not the A-team where... No. You know, it's wall-to-wall act violence, yeah. but nobody, you don't feel it. It could be, you know, it's it's nothing. But then you, you come, you to, feel stuff. You feel it in this, but then you come to Eli yeah. Waller, and he's actually, I find him just really funny. He is. He's just, he's, 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 he's wicked, but he's, he's funny. He's brilliant. It's it's his film, really. Yeah. You watch it, and it's it's really Tuco's movie. I mean, him, even him jumping out the bath, which I agree, too long a scene, but him jumping out the bath. <laughs> And you're like, that's quite risque, showing off your budgets, <laughs> <laughs> sir. Yeah. You know. It's it's yeah, it's it's kind of it's it is, but he is he's just he's just incredibly funny. Yeah. Um and he 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 does he just just carry the whole film. It's it's really mm. um it, I said it only really occurred to me watching it this time, just going, Yeah, it, this is his film. Yeah. That, really? That, and that that last scene between him and Eastwood when Eastwood has got him strung up and yeah. balancing on top of the the cross at the grave, mm-hmm. um, and he just rides off, and that teetering of if he slips he's going to hang himself, and then 
yeah. uh, shooting it. I love that that scene. Um, I mean, I love the last line um, where he just calls him like a son of a. Yeah. And, and then it ah, comes yeah. in. Yeah. Then, but but that's the, that's what I find quite fun. I meant to mention earlier on is is that kind of the that kind of coyote howl. Mm. Um, it's funny and it's it's deliberately funny within the film. It's used so much as like a punchline or almost as a laugh track mm. through you know as punctuation through the film that comes in out of, out of generally as a to, as a literally as a punchline. Go here's here's the laugh. You know yeah. we can't we can't have a laugh track. We're going to have this. Yeah. To let you know that is supposed to be funny. We are, you know, we are. There is a, there is a lot of humour in it, which I'd forgotten about. The like the letter, mm. like you were just saying about the yeah. letter, the bit that struck me was he goes, oh, it says, you know, see you later, you idiots or something. Yeah. Like that. And yeah. he goes, oh, it's for you. Even so, when the um, like the cavalry come up to them, and they think yeah. it's the south, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah, the gray, it's just the north and they're because they're just covered in sand and dust so it looks like yeah. their uniforms are gray which was the south of them right yeah. yeah but of course once the general beat away all the dust he's wearing is his blues to show he's uh north north um and i just that got me as well because the pair of them together eastwood and and waller together were very good yeah from it's so a, like yeah they're, they're a good double act See, I didn't necessarily, I didn't dislike it or hate it. Yeah. It was just, it was just a shade too long. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I was fully prepared for for you two to go and just go, fucking garbage. What the hell is this? <laughs> what no. the hell was this shit you've inflicted on my Here's eyes? Here's the thing. I was really worried about it when you suggested it, because I, having not really seen many Westerns, I thought this is like f- films for middle-aged white men and... Mm. Uh, so I was worried that I was going to watch it, you know, like Alla the Great Escape and be like, oh, this isn't for me. Yeah. Uh, and I think it actually frustrated me a little bit that that it was too long because I really wanted to like it and I was enjoying an awful lot about it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like when you get to a point of a film where you're like, oh, how much is left, though? Yeah. Like you're in a bad place yeah. with the film, aren't you? Oh, um, yeah. I mean, that's always a heart sinking moment. You go, yeah. are we nearly done? Oh, an hour. Well, Jesus Christ. Yeah, mm. I, I paused it to go to the little girl's room and realised uh, that I'd been watching it for like an hour and 10 and there was still like an hour and 40 or something left. And I was like, oh no like I, I thought I, I was nearly way. done yeah. I thought I was nearly done yeah. um but I will say like it hasn't put me off the idea of watching more westerns maybe mm-hmm. um maybe shorter ones <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe shorter ones um and I did like I say I mean it was really difficult for me to rate because there is a lot there is an awful lot to like about it mm-hmm. um it just yeah I just wish I wish it had just you know, just shaved it down a hair. <laughs> and you it's have funny. to see if you can find like the original cut on an old VHS or something mm, like yeah. the, the two hour version. And because it, it's, it's interesting, though, because the couple of scenes that you thought we might not like because they they then appear to you to be quite long. They're actually the scenes mm. that we enjoyed. Yeah. Perhaps the most. Yeah. But it was just some of those long shots and some of those lingering shots. Yeah, and, I think it was it was one of those things for me where. I don't mind a scene being long if it's doing something with its exactly. length. Yeah. And so those ones where it was building up the idea of like, you know, this awful, sweaty, hot, horrible torture mm. or this tension of like, who's going to shoot first? Who's going to shoot who? 
you know, who's going to die, who's going to get the goal. Like, that was all very exciting. But it was the bits for me where it felt like almost unnecessary, like, just fluff for no good reason. Like, yeah. Just, yeah. Just, just shave that off a bit. I don't really need... <laughs> don't really need those bits although i've got to say one of the other problems that i have with the film is entirely in my own brain as well but i think i might struggle with westerns in general because i have a real hard time watching people be dirty and um, <laughs> okay yeah and this film is just full of like Grubby sweaty the grimy yeah. dusty sandy people yeah. flies like everywhere you know everything yeah. just looks like even even the bit where he's in the bath i was gonna say dirty. even when the yeah. bath he still looks grubby it's like you're, just, yeah. you're in a hot soapy bubble bath and you still look filthy yeah and like <laughs> well, this, this, is, this is one of the things that this kind of film brought was because it's an italian it's italians making the film it's got no kind of truck with the mythology of the Western as it existed, which was all like the good guys wearing white hats and the bad guys wearing black hats mm-hmm. or, you know, feathers, you know, being Indians or whatever. That kind of that kind of mythology of the West, the, you know, the strong, silent guy who does the good thing and goes off with the girl at the end. And, you know, and all that. It, it got no interest in any of that at all. And yeah. it's it kind of although what they call revisionist Westerns, pre-existed i i think personally that this kind of kicks off the like the the leone trilogy really kick off the the revisionist western like Mm. hardcore like for example um in the leone westerns your cowboys are wearing big long dusters your big leather long coats Mm. you know your big long trench coats which was kind of we kind of used to now but at the time that was really revolutionary um because you were used to seeing you know, cowboys being clean in the, you know, the press shirts and the waistcoat. Yeah, because you're used to press, you know, crease shirts and a waistcoat, yeah. you know, and the hat. Very, And if it was a jacket, it would be one with fringe, you know, yeah. and yeah. short. Whereas these guys were wearing uh, suitable attire for the weather at times. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know, it looked too hot for a poncho to me. <laughs> yeah, that's it, yeah. Although I did like him in his poncho, I thought it was a bit all right. But you know, that's superficial. I did enjoy. I did. I've got to say, I did enjoy the design of the poncho. It's very uh, aesthetically pleasing. I do yeah. have one. They're quite lovely to wear, to be fair. Anyway, so <laughs> don't ruin ponchos for me. Oh, are they, are they nice to wear? I have one. It's great. <laughs> it's great. So um, yeah, so it's kind of like it kicks off like the you had the kind of like the um, the fact that although it's called the good, the bad, and the ugly, and Clint Eastwood's character is labelled good. He ain't that good. No. He's, he's certainly not good as in um, kind of pleasant or uh, like he's a good guy. Yeah, he's, he's good not exactly as in he's saving proficient. the day, is he? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, he's very morally grey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and that's the other thing, kind of, he's kind of the anti-hero. I mean, it's, quite, it's, it's very interesting compared to, it's a shame, I don't know if Rawhide is, I've never seen an episode of Rawhide, but I've seen stills. And Clint Eastwood in that is so clean shaven and clean. He's squeaky clean. He plays it. Although he was older when he made it, he was playing like a young guy who's kind of gee whiz shucks, you know, that kind of kid, you yeah. know. And and this was completely the opposite. You know, I kind of you're so used to we now used to seeing Clint Eastwood as, you know, squinting and, mm. you know, smoking the, the stinky cigars mm. and, with the, you know, with the the stubble and all that kind of stuff. And that was so the opposite of what his image was at the time. 
it's almost like um, when Bruce Willis did Die Hard. It's kind of hard to remember that when Bruce Willis did Die Hard, he was known for comedy at the time. He well, was Moonlighting, wasn't it? Yeah. So it's like Bruce Willis in an action movie. That's going to suck. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't think so. Because the action guy at the time was Stallone and Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. You know, the big muscle guy. He's not guy. He's not a muscle guy. Then he's along comes guy. short and bald. And there he can, yeah, he comes along with, you know, in his vest. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's quite interesting to just see what a transformation Eastwood went through. You know, what a complete jolt. And you you think he couldn't have done, I don't think he could have done that in Hollywood. He wouldn't have been allowed to do that in Hollywood. Mm. To have that much of it, you know, there wouldn't have been the opportunity or, or the need for him to do that. They'd have, they'd have gone, okay, we'll cast you in the, the G. Shook Young guy roles. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's you know, it's such a turnaround. Um, but, yeah, it just it kind of, you know, phenomenal. And like you say, and after after that, you're looking at Lake City, there's a whole load of revisionist westerns came out, Soldier Blue and um, Little Big Man and, and stuff like that. Really dark, bleak uh, movies that kind of brushed away the, the the mythology and the kind of like the, the, the rose-tinted spectacles of looking at the West of, you know. I'm glad you've explained those because I've never heard of them. <laughs> so, just well, just where you put that in there <laughs> so yeah i mean i mean I'm, i am looking forward to you seeing rio bravo because that's that's what I want yeah to i'm gonna give that a go i mean and it has been interesting watching this and just seeing how it has influenced other movies from star wars to practically everything tarantino has put out yeah uh, and other things um yeah, I mean, you've got, uh, I mean, I mean, I'm sure you, that you, you'll get the references in Back to the Future now, although yeah. they, they reference, specifically they reference uh, A Fistful of Dollars, I think, where he wears the um, the metal plate under his poncho, yeah. it's like yeah. a bulletproof vest. But you've got, uh, you know, Escape from New York as well. Edgar Wright, actually, his first film was a film called A Fistful of Fingers, which was like a, a spoof <laughs> western. <laughs> Which okay. It's hard to find. Actually, I remember seeing. I think Channel Four showed it once. Mm. Um, it's it's you know it's his first film, and it's, I think it's amateur, but it, it is quite amusing. And the the comic strip presents did a, an episode called A Fistful of Travellers. Oh Tips, yes, I saw that donkey years ago. Yeah, which is which is super. You know, yeah, I kind of I kind of watched that again recently. It's like oh, I I, I really get the gags now. Mm. <laughs> I didn't I didn't really I hadn't seen it. Okay, so well, we, kind of I think ready? we've I think we've come to our, our point where we've sort of come to the end of the film as much yeah. as we discussed it. <laughs> uh, and final thoughts. So, uh, Stace, do you want to give your final thoughts? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think I've pretty much covered yeah. you know, everything about it. I, I will say, um, every time a horse fell over, I got very upset Same. because I don't I don't know what the standards were like. At the time that that film was made, I get very distressed for animals when they fall Mm. down or have to like run around (laughs) a lot. Um, So that was worrying. But now I realise I probably should have been worried more about the people atop (laughs) the the horses. You'd be worried for Eli Waller, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But overall, like I think it's a very good film. I just, yeah, I just wish it was just a just a smidgen, a smidgen shorter, and it probably would have been like knocking on. Mm. Four four and a half stars for me, but as it as it stands, I've I've, <laughs> I've levelled it a two and a half out of five, which I'm sure Lee will be absolutely that's, cursing my name about. That's foul. <laughs> <laughs> three and a half out of five. 
three at least. <laughs> well, I'll be, you know, to be honest, final thoughts on me are very similar. Um, I, I think it's a terrifically made film and it's mm. brilliantly acted and um, even all the grit and dirt and everything, because the print I watched was a superb print of the film. So it still looks, you know, vibrant and clean in the sense that the film itself is clean, not the people within it. Um, but like Stacey, if it had just shaved off just a, a little bit of time and just and just tightened it in, because it's a good script, it's a good story. And I just think if it had been tightened in a little bit within a time restraint, I would have enjoyed it even more because I think even I gave it about two and a half. I might have given it three, but I feel like I might have given it a two and a half stars. Um, but if it had just done those those little things, it, it would have been a four star film because it's a terrific, terrific story. And I, I do enjoy a good Western and that is a good Western. So, well, I have to say you've took it better than I thought you would. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was fully prepared. I was talking to Jenny Yildblad earlier on. Yeah. She was saying, oh, what are you doing? I thought, oh, well, we're recording the next episode. Oh, what are you doing? Oh, the good, the bad and the ugly. And she says, oh, I've heard of that one. I went, yes, <laughs> I I bought you that on DVD four years ago. Anyway, and she says, I said, they're not going to like it. <laughs> yes. Well, oh, I, they're not going to go. So, so far, I have to say, you, you keep surprising me. The stuff I think you're going to go for. <laughs> You, you kind of go and go and fuck off with that thing. And the stuff I think you're going to hate, you go, no, this is good. And I'm starting to think you're doing it deliberately now. <laughs> you go, he said we're going to hate this. Well, I'm going to fucking love it. So, yeah, so you, you, you took it better than, you, than I thought you would. And you're not surprising me at all. About, yeah. But, um, but, yeah, and I did, I mean, I did quite deliberately drop you in the deep end with it. Mm. because like you know i was umming and on about whether it should be this or whether it should be butch and sundance which is a much more mainstream yeah movie to, to ease you into you know westerns and stuff or or whatever but i just thought nah fuck it the way- <laughs> <laughs> nah. best way best way if you hate it fine <laughs> yeah. laugh. But, but listen listen to the note of how he just said fine like it's not really fine <laughs> if you hear a grinding noise it's only my teeth <laughs> it's like um the great escape fine let's let's not talk about the great let's, <laughs> let's just let that wounds heal let's not keep picking at that scab well friends it's if only you been six months i was gonna say if you haven't heard that episode i highly recommend you go back and listen to it because <laughs> that's got to be one of our top I, episodes that's I probably what episode four maybe <laughs> I, I can't. I can't listen to it. I can't. It, it's too angry. Your blood pressure gets too yeah, high. No, I'm serious. I can't. <laughs> I, I can't no, even express. Now, I can't express. To back, but the shits and I can't complete sentences. It's, yeah, he, he actually couldn't. He honestly, it was like, it's like epileptic. He just couldn't do it. Anyway, so, <laughs> skip to the end. Yeah, spitting taxi was. <laughs> that was the good, the bad, and the ugly. Which was not like The Great Escape, because we liked this a bit more than we liked that. <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to show you any big films anymore. It's just yeah, you are. To be fair, The Great Escape Man. could have been 10 minutes long and my editor fell off. So <laughs> That's also true. <laughs> I still don't understand how he motorbike. Let's move on from The Great Escape. <laughs> 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 no, 
let's move. All right. So if we move on to from there in about the same sort of time it took him to ride across the country to what is going to be our next film. Stace, it's your choice. What are we watching next? Yes, it's going to be Gross Point Blank, which is a film that I almost shat when Jenny said she hadn't seen. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's flipping corblimey and um, our friendship is officially on the line, Jenny, so no pressure. No, no, no pressure. pressure for me on this one. I just have to like it or have really good reason not to like yeah. it. And then it, so be it, the it end. Is, it is one of those films I watched with a girl who I was like, maybe could this be a romance? And she didn't like it. I went, no, it's it's not. Nah. <laughs> just bin her off, put her in the bin. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Bye. <laughs> this uh, Gross Point Blank was the top film on Richie's list of uh, 50 films that I should watch before I turn 30, which he made for me when I was 25. 24, 25, which I still haven't finished watching all the films on. But The Good, The Bad and The Ugly was on there, so I can tick that off now. Yay! <laughs> well, I'm glad. That's a great escape on. I'm glad. I don't think it was, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> Good reason. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> it's gross. Like, so I'm pretty certain I haven't actually. I'm going to laugh my ass off if I put it on and start watching and thinking, oh, no, wait, I've seen this. Well, do you know what? If you've seen it, then this will be a rare episode where we just all watch a film that we've seen. That we've all like, seen. Yeah. Because because yeah. uh, I'm not backing out of it now. I've picked it. I want to watch no, it. No, I'm in the <laughs> mood for it now. We're, yeah, we're going to watch it. I can't remember. I don't think I have seen it because uh, it's, it's John Cusack, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So, yes, uh, episode 11. Yes, that's right, isn't it? Yeah, episode yeah. 11 because this is episode 10. So it must be gross point blank so we will be back here in a month for that and i cannot wait to hear how that one's gonna fall (laughs) so until then my friends this is me saying goodbye and stacy toodle pick babs and lee bye until next time this is never seen bye